0: Mike Larson here, senior analyst at Weiss Ratings and editor of Weiss's Safe Money Report and Under the Radar Stocks newsletter, been on uh, CNBC, CNN, Bloomberg and Fox, Business Network and all over the place. Welcome to the show. Uh, Mike, take it away, Jeremy. We uh, got exposed to you at uh, the Money Show in Toronto um, a couple weeks ago and uh, you did a seminar there and just wanted to see how that show worked for you.
1: Sure. It, it was a great opportunity to be in Toronto. Um, I was supposed to go last year as well, but we had a little visit from a hurricane down here and uh, the appearance got canceled. So much better weather this time around. Um, I think it's interesting to, to be speaking on gold in a time of rising interest rates. And that was obviously the focus of my presentation because traditionally it's not a great time for gold investing. But I think that in terms of where we are this cycle, that could be a real, a real different environment. I mean, you know, people are pretty familiar with some of the struggles that gold's had. We'd have some pressure due to the the increase in the U.S. dollars value, um, some reduced demand from emerging markets, some questions about mine supply rising and economic downturns in places like China. Uh, You throw in U.S. interest rates, and it's one of those environments that's been a little bit challenging for gold. But I think one of the... the, the Areas or one of the reasons that I'm, I'm more positive on gold now than I think I've been in quite some time is the risk of volatility chaos. I look at, at gold as almost mayhem insurance, if you will, in this kind of environment where we've had an extremely low volatility market. We've had a lot of, of, of credit market excess, excess borrowing, lending, and so on encouraged by cheap, easy money. But I think that we're starting to see uh, more and more of you know, cracks behind the facade in terms of the stock market and in terms of uh, potential economic risk down the road. So in all of those, uh, those things going on, this is, to me is a great time to be investing in gold simply for protection, portfolio insurance. Um, If you look at at charts of volatility and gold going back several years, uh, they look very similar. Gold prices generally coming down as well as volatility coming down. But I believe in the January-February time frame, we started to see volatility snap into a new higher range. And even with the S&P hitting a new high here volatility has not dropped back into that suppressed range it was in in 2017. And I think that's the market telling you something. I think that investors are realizing this environment's different with the Fed hiking interest rates and some more of these, um, the, you know, these ter- this turmoil appearing behind the scenes and things like emerging markets. It's definitely an environment that's going to be more conducive to investing in gold.
0: Yeah I think it it was great to see uh someone like yourself as well you know you're you're you you are an editor you do your own writing as well and uh you know you do cover the the gamut of investing in different stocks and and so you do have your your hands in in different pots and whatnot and I I think it's great to see someone who is saying look I'm looking at everything and we have to admit what's actually happening and look at at the precious metals as well was Is there something indicating to you uh, that you believe, you know, something specific that you're looking at in terms of your indicators that you believe the price of gold is headed much, much higher?
1: Sure, sure. I mean, and you're right. I'm a generalist when it comes to the gold market. I'm not a gold bug per se. I'm not someone who whose background is in minor mining research and things like that. It's more uh, interest rates and, and financial markets and what impact they can have on, on gold overall. So that's where I come at this. And, and I think that's how you have to look at the gold market in this environment. Um, with that being said, I think that Again, it goes back to sort of the the cracks that we're seeing in the facade. I mean, we've been in terms of the stock market, we've been in in a record long bull market run here in the United States Um, and obviously world markets up until recently have been pretty strong as well. Um, We've seen, you know, the the greatest uh, wave of of quantitative easing from central banks worldwide. We've seen the longest period of interest rates being pegged to the floor and all of that served to suppress volatility. Uh, You had an environment where um, the Fed was basically and other central banks were very much behind the asset markets, they had the asset markets back. But with the Fed beginning to raise interest rates, I mean we've had eight interest rate hikes to date so far. Uh, with the Canadian central bank and some of the other central banks around the world either dialing back on QE or also raising interest rates, it's bringing us, it's ushering us into a new era of volatility. Again, if you look at the that the market in 2017, we have never had as long of a stretch of, of low volatility readings in history. There's never been as many days that the VIX, the volatility index, was under 10 uh, in all of market history as there was in 2017. 2017. So people didn't need insurance. People didn't need safety. They were more than willing to speculate on everything from technology stocks uh, to higher-risk IPOs and all these other um, all these other types of investments. But as we transition out of that market and into a more volatile era, where you know different countries are going in different directions in terms of growth, in terms of monetary policy, interest rates, and so on. Um, I couldn't think of a better environment for having some insurance and safety in your portfolio than right now. And I think gold really does fit the bill. You you asked for which particular markets might stand out. Again, I looked at something like the the VIX here where, you know, you were under that that 10 level in single digits for such a long period of time. When we had the initial market turmoil in January and February, VIX soared as high as 50. Now, it's back down to the low teens, but it hasn't dropped back into that old range. And also, if you look at credit spreads, risk spreads in the bond market, you're seeing the difference between um, treasury interest rates and interest rates on things like corporate bonds they've they've basically been widening out, um, generally widening out from uh, the pre-January levels. So even though the stock market itself is near all-time highs and and hit all-time highs, the credit markets are starting to sniff out signs of of more trouble ahead, and the volatility market seems to be doing the same thing. So you add that all together, and you've got to say, what behind the scenes is not lining up um, for the equity market and what may be lining up for gold? And that's, um, that's what I'm seeing out there.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a, a, a vast diagnosis there, looking at lots of different points. Um, we're talking about interest rates, and we were actually mentioning interest rates um, in the in our first segment because in we, we know that after the dot com bubble and after 9-11, Greenspan lowered interest rates, but he managed to get them back up to six percent. Um, you know, by two thousand seven, and you know when Bernanke took over. That's when they dropped all the way down to zero. And here we are two, two and a quarter, two and a half. Do you think that they can get up to some sort of semblance of that? Or is this volatility that you're seeing in all these other aspects, um, you know, putting a, a limit on where they can get to before the next recession happens?
1: Sure. If you look at the history of interest rate hiking and cutting cycles over the last few decades, uh, the peaks for interest rates have gotten lower and the depths for interest rates have gotten lower as well. So, um, you know, it's been this stair-stepping pattern over over several years where when the Fed hikes, it doesn't get quite as high as it did in the previous hiking cycle. And when it cuts, it gets much lower than it did in the previous cutting cycle. Um, What's noteworthy about this cycle here is, you know, I went back and and studied the five major interest rate cycles going back to the mid 19. The 1970s here in the US. Okay. Uh, and we had interest rates pegged near 0% for 84 months, uh, which is the longest by far on average in those cycles before rates started to go up. They were only held at those lows for around 11 months. Uh, this rate hiking cycle has already stretched out to about 33 months. On average, the cycles lasted 22 months. And we've seen you know, that the magnitude of the interest rate hikes, it's been about 200 basis points so far. On average it's more than five hundred. So um I think you have a valid point there. I think the level at which the Fed begins to break the markets, for lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. is going to be lower than it was in the past. I mean, every time we have one of these Fed cycles, uh especially in the last two where, you know, we had this dot com bubble and bust that the Fed then tried to cure with one percent interest rates and and its version of easy money then, that helped lead to a massive housing bubble. Uh when that popped, we ended up with zero percent interest rates for a record long period of time. Now you have asset valuations on everything from many stocks to high-risk bonds to commercial and residential real estate. I mean, Toronto's a, cl- a prime example of where we've seen a huge run-up in real estate prices and speculative activity. Um, you add it all together, and you've got a real risk that – and you know, the Fed's going to get to a point where, where something breaks, and it breaks sooner than we've had in the past. And again, that that just speaks to the need to have some insurance and safety, especially because we're already eight hikes into this cycle. Um, you know, that that's quite a bit, even though it still overall it has not mirrored the total level of interest rate hikes we had in the past. Uh, it's definitely far enough into the cycle that you have to start looking for insurance and some things that are going to you know position you defensively uh, for when things start to turn turn awry. And I think that that's probably not too far off. And again, that's why highlight like gold here.
0: And uh, I want to go back to something you said earlier before we sort of touch on, on gold for our listeners, is that you were talking about that, you know, eventually this does start to unwind. There's lots of volatility in different places. And uh, I want to bring in two, two sort of points here. One is that, uh, you know, we've interviewed Nomi Prinz in the past. She wrote a book, Collusion, just talking about how in 2008, you know, Basically, Bernanke got a bunch of central bankers to go along with this plan of just printing tons of money, lowering interest rates, etc. But there was a recent article that came out um, with um, Gordon Brown, the former uh, finance minister of England and obviously prime minister of England. And he was basically saying that, look, in the next crisis these people aren't going to get together. They're actually going to blame each other. They're going to start pointing fingers going, well, who's to blame for all of this because I'm not taking the blame anymore and I'm not going to help. Do you think that that's sort of part of part and parcel of what you're seeing with that, you know, the VIX and all and the bonds and this sort of outward at the fringe volatility that, you know, the MSM doesn't really want to talk about? Sure.
1: I'm, you know, I, that, Collusion, first of all, by Nomi Prince was a fantastic book. I actually uh, read it on my, my trip out to San Francisco for a previous investor conference. Uh, great read there. And I think that, that she and you are, are, are definitely onto something there when you look at the cooperation. I mean, you know, you had the, the, all these late-night conference calls. You had Ben Bernanke and, and other central bankers on the phone with, you know, you know Europe, central banks in Europe and, and Asia and so on. And they, they were definitely all pulling at, you know, kind of pulling at the, uh, the markets in the same direction because everybody was in the same boat. But when you look at, at the election of President Trump and some of the things that he's done uh, to basically increasingly isolate the U.S., when you look at some of the other things, uh, you know, where we are in different points in the economic and credit cycle in different countries, um, everybody's not in the same boat as before, number one. And number two, you've had a big increase in sort of populism and anti, you know, uh, you know, anti-traditionalist or, or multinational cooperation uh, in many countries, not just here in the United States, but in, place, in parts of Europe and elsewhere. So that's definitely going to make it harder. I mean, I can't even imagine if, if the banking sector collapsed tomorrow, what would happen uh, if the Treasury, Sec- <laughs> Treasury Secretary went to uh, Congress and tried to ask for $800 billion in TARP bailout money. I mean, you know, the population wouldn't stand for it. The, the legislators wouldn't stand for it. It's a completely different environment than we had um, you know, in the mid-2007, 2008 crisis. So definitely there's less of a safety net out there number one. And number two, there's less of an ability to to finance bailouts. I mean, one of the main reasons why uh, government and central banks were able to sort of arrest the the collapse even after so much damage had been done is that there was balance sheet room to do it. Um, But now, not just in the U.S., but in Japan and Europe and elsewhere around the world, uh, debt to GDP ratios are sky high. Uh, Governments are running massive deficits. I mean, here in the U.S., uh, you're talking about trillions and trillions of dollars of deficits as far as the eye can see. So that, that sort of balance sheet capacity, the ability to just you know borrow and spend to, to bail the economy and the banks out isn't there now like it was more than 10 years ago. So yes, it's the political willpower I think is increasingly lacking. And the financial ability to launch massive bailouts I think is lacking increasingly now versus a decade ago.
0: Yeah, I, I, well, obviously, I, I do completely agree with you. And I think that in sort of the Keynesian approach, you haven't seen any of these debts come down. During a time where apparently the economy is so fantastic, you know, where is the Fed actually paying off its or, you know, paying down its balance sheet, and it's just not happening. So what happens when the next crisis hits? Uh, you know, I think we're, we're reaching, in my personal opinion, reaching max complacency, where people are just like, well, nothing's happened yet. So it probably won't happen. But
1: uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's, that's the real risk. I mean, that's it right there.
0: So let's talk a little bit about gold and, and silver market cuz in your presentation you actually covered the topic of shorting in the gold market and uh, we've recently discussed that well we've discussed that at length on the real money show here and uh, s- Certainly in the news recently was that J.P. Morgan all but abandoned their record short position in silver. So just for our listeners and uh, just getting your point of view, can you explain the significance of shorts in the gold market, silver market, and what your opinion is of how impacting shorting might be on the gold price?
1: Sure. Well, if you look at at sort of net positioning in gold futures, some of the data that you have here in in the U.S. um, tracking the gold market, um, we actually, as of summer of 2018, had the highest level of net shorts in the gold market that we've seen from hedge funds and sort of the speculators in the market than there's ever been. I mean, the data I have goes back to the mid-2000s. Um, and we've, it's certainly unprecedented in terms of the, the the net short position. And what's interesting is in late 2015, we had what was then considered a record short position. Uh, and it, you know, it got unwound in a hurry. As a matter of fact, gold the gold price alone surged about 30%, 31% um, after that then record net po- uh, short position was hit. And now here we are where there's about twice as many shorts in the market versus there were then. So you know, it's not a one-to-one correlation. It doesn't mean that gold's going to rise twice as much from here. But it does signal that a lot of people are leaning the same way in the gold market. So any positive headline, any development that sort of questions the short thesis for gold could lead to a very large, very quick move in the opposite direction. And it's also worth noting, and I had this slide in the presentation, that you had a 13-week stretch recently where bullion-backed ETF holdings actually declined. So the ETF right. were, were, you know, seeing declining gold. And that was the longest stretch that we had seen there since August 2013, And if we put on sort of our history hats, what happened back in the summer of 2013, that's when the Fed was uh, first talking about tapering its balance sheet and you had the quote unquote taper tantrum that Bernanke set off. Mm -hmm. So I think you're in a situation now where you have a lot of people leaning in the same direction at a time where there's a real catalyst, meaning increased volatility and sort of turmoil in the markets that uh, could give you a fundamental argument for gold again. So I think when you combine positioning with a fundamental turn there, I think it's a very powerful mix and we just need something to kind of set that that off. And I think as an investor, you know, you don't really want to wait till it happens because the gold's going to be moving quickly. Now's the time to buy on the cheap.
0: So and then speaking of buying on the cheap, you know, clearly you've studied all aspects of the market. You're looking at, at, at many different routes and in, in how to invest. Have you ever seen anything that is this undervalued at this point?
1: No, I mean, when you look at, at, at where gold is, is trading relative to other assets, stocks, and, and all kinds of things, I mean, you know, I mentioned earlier, and in the presentation, I talked about this concept of an Uber bubble, where you have massive asset inflation in everything from stocks to high-risk bonds to commercial and residential real estate to these esoteric things. I mean, I've, I've done some research on it, and you have everything from the value of a national football league team to baseball cards to artwork. <laughs> it's kind of gone through the roof here but due to all this easy money. Yet you've had gold that has relatively underperformed, and I think that that's a situation where, um, as these other sort of component bubbles really run into trouble and begin to pop, um, you know, you have to look for something that's undervalued. You have to look for some place to, to, you know, put your money and some place to buy safety. And again, I think that all argues and makes a stronger case for gold as that kind of safety uh, hedge, that volatility hedge, and, and an investment that is not radically overvalued, unlike so many other investments that are out there to choose from.
0: And uh, lastly, I know, I know we got to let you go, but um, lastly, I know in your presentation you were discussing the ratios, uh, gold to silver ratio and whatnot. Um, do you see eventually that ratio coming further in line with its historic norm?
1: Sure. I mean, you have a a gold-silver ratio that was recently up around the 80 level. Um, And when that's happened in the past, I mean, you go back and chart this and and you look at historical times where we've been up around these levels. It's really around 2003 when the precious metals market was coming out of that long bear stretch. It's around 2009 at the depths of the credit crisis. And from there, uh, precious metals obviously performed very well. And the only other time really that we've gotten close is kind of in that early 2016, late 2015 timeframe. And as I mentioned, we were discussing the short positions. So that's when gold radically took off then. So again, you know just from a valuation standpoint, from sort of a gold- silver ratio standpoint and from a market positioning standpoint, I mean all of these, these things are, are at very extreme levels. So that doesn't mean that we're going to wake up and gold tomorrow is going to go up 50 or 100 dollars, but it does mean that you're buying an, a, a deeply undervalued asset at a time when there's a real fundamental catalyst. And at a time where sentiment is so negative that you potentially have the, the, the catalyst for a very sharp, very large move. So uh, again, you know, sentiment, fundamentals, technicals—it all kinds of kind of lines up here, uh, which is why I think this is a, a time. You know, if you don't have gold in your portfolio already, certainly it's a time to add some. And if you already do have, now is a good time to be increasing the size of that position.
0: Well, Mike Larson, it's been a, a pleasure talking to you. Um, I really enjoy your point of view, uh, looking at where you're doing your research. Now, we we want to follow you here at Guildhall at Guild and The Real Money Show. We want to get our listeners to start following you. And, you know, not just gold and silver, but the other aspects of the market, because you do, uh, you know, tend to have some recommendations and uh, everyone that you're, you know, the writers that you're editing as well. So how do people get in touch with you? Where do they find uh, what you're up to?
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, They can go to www.weissratings.com, W-E-I-S-S, ratings.com. My firm's been involved in the markets in one form or another uh, since the mid-1970s. Our firm actually tracks and rates uh, stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, uh, tens of thousands of them when you add in all the mutual fund classes. Uh, And as you mentioned, we do cover not just uh, what's going on in the gold and silver markets, but also what's going on in bonds, stocks, and other uh, investments. So if they go to that website at Weiss Ratings, they can get signed up for a free email newsletter that we send out. Um, every morning kind of explains what's going on in the markets and gives our perspective. That's a great place to start out. And then if they're interested in some of the subscription services we offer, I have the Safe Money Report that I've been with for a number of years. And, and that's probably a good you know, a good place to get sort of an overview on the markets, um, get my take on gold, but also what's going on in different parts of the stock market. So uh, definitely encourage people to check it out if they have some time.
0: Excellent. Mike Larson, definitely you have to come back to the show soon.
1: Perfect. Thank you. My
0: pleasure. We'll speak to you soon.